true that he is a friend who's, who's proven that time and again through the years. And uh, in fact, you know, I, I guess you know who your real, real friends and close friends are by when when you're in need or you're down. Uh, it's the people you look to then because you know they're going to be there, and uh, you know they're going to lend an ear or a shoulder or, a shoulder or whatever's needed. Hand, whatever's whatever's got to be done, and through the years, Burgess has been there. We forged a forged a friendship many many years ago, and, and uh, I, I appreciate that friendship so much. Appreciate him being here this weekend, and uh, he called me, called me, and I I'm thankful that we have the kind of relationship and friendship that he did. He may not have felt real comfortable calling, but at least he knew he could. And I'm thankful for that. And uh, he just let me know that he had me, had me and had this church on his heart. And uh, I, appreciate, I appreciate I appreciate that very, very much. So we're honored. He's a busy man. He's pastoring a growing church, a large church. And for him to take time for us means a whole lot. So we're thrilled. I do, want, I do want to, before I turn the pulpit to him, I do want to just join with Brother Brandon in welcoming our guests. I do want you to know how much I appreciate your presence here as well. And we count it a great, great honor that you chose to worship the Lord with us at New Life Pentecostal Church. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming to be here in this service today. And we want to invite you to come back again. In fact, I'm not hiding it. It's not a secret agenda. I'm being very open with the fact that we'd love for you just to get so comfortable around here. You're not a visitor anymore. You're just one, you're just one of us. And uh, that's the way we'd like for it to be. But we, are, but we are glad that you are here. Amen. Praise God. It's good to see Sister Deanna here as well. We've been praying for that day. It's a miracle what God has done. We're so thankful. Amen. For what God has done. For little Gina, and for those of you that haven't seen the pictures, I got to see some pictures, uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's quite a miracle. I thank God for that. Amen. Brother Burgess, we are so very, very honored that you're here, and we appreciate you coming to be with us. I've thoroughly enjoyed the fellowship that we've had uh, since he flew in Friday night, and, and I've been looking forward to today. The word of the Lord. I say, I say this not because he's here and not because he's my friend, but the fact is he is a sought-after preacher, and uh, he's preached a lot of conferences, and he's absolutely one of my favorite preachers anywhere, and uh, he's always blessed me every time he opens the Bible, and I'm, I'm just thrilled to have him. And so I want you to come today. I want you to take your liberty. Brother Burgess, say, Brother Burgess, preach to me. Would you say that? Brother Burgess, preach to me. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, everybody. You can be seated just these moments, and I may have you stand again when I read my scripture. What Brother, what Brother Riggin didn't go ahead and tell you was I called up and invited myself to come this weekend. And... Uh, I had just, I do, I do love you and, you and Brother Reagan. Been praying quite a bit for, for uh, 
Reagan, but for this church. And, and uh, I guess it was about a, a, week, and a, half, a week and a half ago, I was um, awakened with a, strong, with a strong burden for Brother Reagan and for, this, and for this church. And I was praying, and I didn't really, I didn't really, I didn't really have anything specific. But I did just kind of feel like calling him up and inviting myself to come by. Now, now I don't say that God sent me here with a message that nobody else would have preached to you or could give you. I, I really, I really, um, I really don't know all that. But I do know that um, I do know that I, I felt very strongly about what I did. I haven't ever done it before. don't know if I'll ever do it again. But I did, but I did call and invite myself. Although I, when I called, I did just kind of talk to him and ask him how everything was going, and he started just telling me about the things that were lined up over the next few weeks. And then he said, but I don't have anything this weekend. And so um, I just felt the Lord nudge me and say, there it is, but I, I just hung up the phone without saying anything, and I got my, and I got my nerve back, called back, and said, I, said, I, said, I, I don't remember how I approached it, but I invited myself, so, so um, anyway, anyway, if I let you down, it's not your pastor's fault, it's my fault, because I'm the one that came by, but, uh, but uh, I, I know that the times that we live in are very different from anything we've ever faced before. You know, um, it even seems like, and I, I look at all the numbers of, of this time of recession that we're in, and in my lifetime, they have been worse. My, li my lifetime, I have seen things uh, not, so, not, so, not so good. And uh, matter of fact, my, my dad, when I was a, a teen, a teen, just entering my teen years, my dad was, was tricked into investing in a building supply by some people, and it, and it really was a bankrupt business, and they just wanted his little savings put in it. They wanted to take the money and run. So basically, to, to salvage his name and to salvage what he could, he had to borrow the money and buy those men out, and so, and so we had a bankrupt business on our hands about the same time that interest rates went to about 20% in the late, in the late 70s, and uh, everything, was, everything was tough. And at any time, we could have been, the, the creditors could have shut us down and all of that. We, we went through a lot of, a lot of tough times, and then I know no numbers wise, the early 80s was the worst, the worst time for unemployment, recession, uh, when, you, when you look at numbers. But, I, but I, I'm just going to tell you, this that we're in right now has a different feeling. There is an element of fear here now, here now that wasn't before. And, and I, I could say that maybe it's because... The generation that's doing the talking and the writing and the writing in the papers is not the generation that has really known what it's like to go through tough times. 
And so, and maybe, so they're, maybe they're more afraid of it. They don't understand the resilience of our, our people. Now, that's the human explanation. But, I, but I'm going to tell you, there's something a little beyond that. I believe, I believe that this is just being combined with a spirit of fear that we know, that we know is at work in the end time. There's just there's just an uncertainty that come that comes scripturally I believe comes with the end time and, I, and I, I know it's there and it's troubling a lot of people and on one hand it even it, it troubles us because we got families to feed we got bills to bills to pay people to take care of and all of that but you know one thing we have that the world doesn't have is we know this world was not built to last. We know that it was not built to keep getting better and to rise higher, but that, but that perilous times will come. In the end time, perilous times will come. But though they are here, we can lift up our heads and we can look up for our redemption draweth nigh. I'm not concerned about what I'm going to do for my physical retirement, even though I'm trying to be practical about it. Whether that, whether that goes well or doesn't go well, the thing I want to be concerned about is my spiritual retirement. I want to make sure I've got heaven in view. I want to make it to heaven. And I believe that as we get further along, people are going to be more and more concerned about their souls. And I, I want to be ready with a message of hope. I, I know the one who holds tomorrow. And I'm, not, and I'm not so concerned about what he's going to do for me tomorrow on this physical earth, whether he's, whether he's going to give us all a raise or whether he's going to make sure we all have a job or whatever. That's all, that's all nice and good. But the thing I want to make sure of is that I'm ready with this message. Not only to preach to others, but to encourage myself in the Holy Ghost. That there's only one thing that's going to last, and that's the treasure we laid up in heaven. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I, I, um, I want to preach this morning, and uh, if you stand, you stand. In Matthew chapter 7, and I'm going, to read, I'm going to read a very, very familiar passage of Scripture, and then I want to go to Acts chapter 9. Matthew chapter 7, and beginning at verse 13. Enter ye in... At the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You know, those odds are not real good. And that came straight from Jesus himself. He's the one that said there will be very few that find eternal life. And uh, this is not doom and gloom from somebody looking with a pessimistic viewpoint. This is the word. 
the word. This is the life saying this. In Acts chapter 9, I want to read a verse of scripture concerning a man whose name at the time was Saul, a man that, a man that had been raised to be devout, yet he, was, yet he was persecuting the church, and though he heard many sermons, though he was a witness to what the Christians were doing, he, were, he was doing his best to fight that. And, and in verse 11, the Lord, the Lord is speaking to a man named, named Ananias. I'll pull all this together for you in a little bit. And the Lord, and the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. He prayeth. Amen. Behold, he prayeth. And I want us to pray this morning. I want us to ask God to just move in this service. I'd love to see somebody filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody repent of their sins. I want to I want to see somebody encouraged in the Lord. And I want us to pray right now and ask for his anointing and his touch in this. God, we need, God, we need you, Jesus. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. God, we love you, Jesus. Oh, oh hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I think, I think it's the time that we should have our minds on. Our eternal reward or our eternal punishment. I think, I think it's something that we should be very concerned about. You know, it, it amazes me that even among, even among people who believe in God, people who believe the Bible is the Word of God, that that there seems to be such a casual attitude about about eternal life. We we, we have our minds on everything else. We have our minds on. Um, all the physical things of this life. We have been in years past. I think it's changing a little bit. But we have been in years past. Uh, just a nation bent on accumulating as much stuff as we can get. As many toys as we can lay our hands on. Let us have all the pleasure that we can have. And, uh, and uh, it, it's amazing the change that has come over us. And, uh, and uh, Satan is very clever. He has, he has made it so hard, so hard for us to think about eternal life. He made it so hard for us to think about the condition of our soul. 
and, and uh, it, it, it's even even when we're not living in, uh, in uh, evil, evil or terrible sin, it seems like we're so busy with things. Churches are filled across America with people who have gone today out of habit. But I can promise you their mind is not very concerned about the state of their soul. If they had an understanding of what the Word really says, they wouldn't come walking in casually and go through the motions go home, go home the same way they left. If they could get a picture of what I read to you this morning, I think sometimes we get, we get complacent ourselves. And, and I'm not here just to preach to any one or two people. I'm here to preach to all of us today. I'm telling you that in, in the book of Matthew that I read to you, Jesus said, in his instructions that you have a gate you need that you need to enter into that is straight and it's narrow the way that you're going to go if you're going to find life. But the other side of that equation is broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many, many there be which go in thereat. Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah chapter 5 that hell enlarged herself. It's so prevalent that people don't care about their soul. We, we bought in as a nation to the idea that if there is a God, then he is such a kind God that nobody is really going to hell. There's people that believe in hell, but they don't believe in hell. There's people that believe in God, but they don't believe in the devil. There's people that believe that believe that believe that the Bible is is God's book. But they don't believe what it says. But it's plain what it says. It says many are going to choose the way of destruction. Many, many, we're we're a small group of people gathered here today. We were numbers and we're a small group of people because across this city, hundreds, thousands, thousands, there are people that woke up today with everything on their mind. Across this country, people have God on their mind. If they knew what I knew from this word of God, that the, that the odds are against anybody going to heaven. I'm telling you, telling you, when you think about it, that Jesus said, who they knew their feet that find it. And who am I that I would have the opportunity? What is there about, there about me that would make me think of all of, all of the people in this city? God is God is going to put me in a mansion with him one day. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I don't have any reasons that I can stand on. I don't have anything that I can point to and say, this is why God ought to save me. And when I look, when I look at the odds that Jesus himself said it, you said it, you're not a chance of going to hell, then you have going to heaven. It serves me 
dirt me up when I, when I read things like get the righteous against ladies. Oh, where does, the, where does the sinner and the ungodly appear? Tell you, tell you, righteous, righteous. I'm a, I'm a long way from the righteousness. Don't miss it. I'm a And I want you to know, friend, that I get up when I think about, think about where I'm going. It worries me when I think, when I think that, not, that not only did he say, few there be, there be that find it. But when he starts, when he starts talking about parable, parables like the ten, like the ten virgins, and he, called them, he called them all by the same, by the same title. They were all, they were all in the wedding party. They were all invited. They had had their lamps. They had their garments. They had everything. But by by the time the master, the bridegroom came, half of of them had run out of oil. That may not worry you. That worries me. It lets me know that those that have have received an invitation to the wedding party. It lets me know that those that have that have put on the garments of the wedding party. Those that have that taken up the lamp. The lamps. Those those that do fight and be called by the same name that those are called who will enter in. Half of them ran out of oil before time for the bride the bridegroom to walk in. Making, making it. The odds are against us. 
that if you looked at the odds, you would say that he would, ne would never give in. You, you look at, he was a product of his day. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a, he was a Pharisee. He was everything that that religious system that they had built implies. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about the fact that they were a one-God people. I'm talking about the religious system they had built and their, their rigid pride in that system. Their, their pride had caused them to not hear Jesus. Their pride, their pride had caused them to crucify him. Their pride. I, now, now us, we, we, we look back on it and we scratch our head in amazement. But you, need to, but you need to put yourself there. I don't even understand it all. But it, it is amazing as it is a people who had dedicated their lives to serving God. That when, that when God walked in their midst, they refused to hear him. You see, they had gotten to the place where they worshipped their idea of God. They worship their thoughts of God. They worship how they wanted God to be. Uh, it hadn't changed a whole lot from when they built a golden calf and called it Jehovah. They were fashioning God the way they wanted him. But after they went into the captivity for a long time, they changed. No longer were they idol worshippers. No longer were they wanting all that kind of stuff. But their pride caused them to love their religiosity. They loved the fact that they were so religious and so much more religious. And they created a God. He didn't look like the golden calf, but he was still a created God. And it was a God that was proud of their pride. God that was pleased with them being stuck on themselves as the only righteous ones. He was pleased with their self-righteousness. It was still an idolatry. But I'm telling you, it was an idolatry that went beyond Old Testament idolatry. It was an idolatry that caused them to reach out. And with wicked hands, they crucified the Lord of glory. So I'm telling you, when you find somebody like that, you look at, you look at this. And Jesus said, I want this gospel to go first to Jerusalem. I want it to go first to Judea. Or you ever, or you ever take it to the rest of the world. But even with all of that emphasis, there were only, there were only a very few. And they finally were driven from Jerusalem by persecution. By the same kind of pride and attitude that had crucified Jesus. They were now persecuting the church. And at the forefront was a man that was the epitome of all that they represented. If you had to take odds, you would say that this man will never be saved. This man is not going to make it. This man, he lived during the times that God walked in flesh. That God... I know. They, 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 they thought he was a man trying to make himself God. But they had it backwards. He was God who had made himself a man. That he might walk among his people and love them. And reach for them and try to help them. And save them. And they rejected him. And Saul was that one. It was the epitome of rejection. 
said, if I wanted, if I wanted to boast in myself, I outdid them all. While everybody else just rejected him and said at home, I persecuted them. We know that he stood there and he listened to the preaching of Stephen. And at the end of that anointed message, he was able to stand there in judgment as they pounded Stephen with stones until he died. You, you start looking into, and, and, and we don't even understand all that it really meant, but when, when those men laid their coats at the feet of Saul and, and took up the stones, it meant more than that he was just an observer. It meant that he was somebody there with authority. Uh, many, many scholars think that he was probably a member of the Sanhedrin, a member, a member of the ruling court. We don't, we don't really know. We don't know. We don't know. The Bible just didn't, didn't see fit to include a sin on all that. But we, but we know he had a position of authority, and we know he was zealous to crucify or to persecute the church. And, 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 and while he was doing it, he heard the message. He heard Stephen preach. He, the conviction that was in that place, it didn't touch his heart. It didn't change him. It didn't stir him. He heard it preached from Stephen all the, all the way from the beginning to the end about how God was dealing with his people and how it would culminate in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it went over him, and he never caught any of it. It never pricked his heart. It never stirred him. It never moved him. He sat under one of the greatest preachers. I don't know. I'm really glad that he didn't tell us what his thorn in the flesh was, the messenger of Satan that came to buffet him because many times I think it was probably a guilty conscience. I think that when Paul mounted the pulpit, so to speak, if he stood on the street corner and got ready to preach, the devil was there to whisper in his ear, you killed a greater preacher than you'll ever be. Oh, you, you, you destroyed a man that could out-preach you. You destroyed a man and he'll never preach to anybody again. But I'm telling you, he he heard that message and it didn't register on him at all. And then he set himself in business to persecute the church. The church. How's he going to know how to persecute the church and who the church is? I mean, they all at that time were Hebrews or Jewish proselytes. They were all right there in that area. That meant they all looked the same. They all talked the same. They had been in the market before with him only months before, and they were just like he was at one point. And so when he walked up to them and looked, they looked like any other Hebrew he had ever seen. They didn't. Now, we, we stand out from the world, but you've got to understand the church in Jerusalem was not in the world, so to speak. It was right in the middle of all of those God-fearing people. Right in, right in the midst of all, and I use that as a descriptive term, not to not not that it was sincerely in their heart, but the church in Jerusalem. If you saw them walking down the street, they didn't stand out like you might stand out today. There was not anything different. They had believed in one God before Pentecost, so they still believed in one God. And so how did Paul know who to persecute? 
He couldn't look at them coming down the road and see from their hairstyle it was somebody. He couldn't tell because of their apparel that it was somebody. He couldn't tell by hearing them say that they believed in one God. They, that they believed in Jehovah and no idols and all, all of that. No, he couldn't tell. The only way he could tell is he had to get in there long enough till he observed them preaching Jesus Christ. He had to observe them witnessing about Jesus Christ. That was the message that set them apart. That not only is there one God, we know who he is. He is Jesus Christ. God manifests in the flesh. Jehovah become our salvation. That's who he is. He had to, he had to hear that distinguishing message. And it, wasn't, it wasn't just repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. Any self-respecting Jewish rabbi taught repentance. Any of the teachers of the of the, of the temple taught repentance. Uh, so he couldn't just walk by and hear part of the message and know he had found some Christians. He had to stick around long enough to hear the entire message. He had to hear somebody talk about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. He had to hear somebody talk about Jesus Christ being God Almighty. He had to hear somebody talk about being baptized in the precious name of Jesus. You couldn't even walk by a baptismal service going on and know, and know for sure he had found some Christians because they practiced baptism for repentance, under repentance. He had to hear it all. But though, but though he heard it all many times, it went right over his head. Passed on, passed on by. Just like it passes right on by so many that hear it. And I'm, telling you, and I'm telling you, it might be what I'm preaching today might be passing by some of you. If you're in the state that Saul was in, where he, he, he's hearing, but he's not really hearing. He, he's hearing the certain words, and he's making identification. Most of you could stand and say, you're preaching a Pentecostal message today. You're preaching a New Testament message today. You're preaching an apostolic message today. But what I want to know, does it go beyond just being identified in your mind? Does it go beyond just you knowing I came to a Pentecostal church today? Does it go beyond knowing that yes, I'm in the right place. This is where I've been going to church. And is the message really getting through? Because the text I read to you in the book of Acts, the Lord, the Lord appeared to a man named Ananias. And the Lord said to him, Ananias, he said, Behold, behold I am here, Lord. And the Lord, and the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight. And inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. Behold, behold, he prayed. And had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here, and here, 
He hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call, call on thy name. You know, what you know what Ananias was doing? He was, he was, he was, he had this figured out. He knew what made sense. This man, this man sat and listened to the best preachers we have. And all it has caused him to do is do more persecuting. Why should I think he's going to listen to me? Is this, not, is this not the man that's been breathing out threatenings and slaughter? Is this not, is this not the man that came to put some of us into prison? And now, you, and now you want me to go and say something to him? This is a man that heard Stephen preach. A message, a message that we understand. It's already, it had already become almost legendary if you want to use those words. Because it was, it was God intending for it to be in the book. So you know it made its impact around. And I, you know it was repeated. And you know it was probably already copied down. And maybe being distributed. And Ananias is saying, you mean, you mean to tell me that I'm, I, you want me to go talk to a man that heard that message? And at the end of that, the end of that message, he still was approving the stoning of Stephen. You mean to, you mean to tell me that a man who has, who has been there to observe when Peter and John preached the gospel, been there to observe when the apostles preached the gospel, and he's still breathing out threatenings and slaughter, who am I? My message will never get through to him. He's sat through the best services. He's been there for the best altar call. He's been, he's been there when conviction swept over. And many, many, many people, many people came into the church, but not Saul. He stood off identifying and watching and counting and, and marking down names and faces. I'll get you. I'll get you. And oh, yes, he had to be close enough to make the identification. And now, what's the difference, Lord? You want me to go to a house? You want me to go all by myself? Myself. Uh, you want me to just walk in there and, and say a few words to him? Uh, the best have tried it. But I don't think this is a good idea. God, God is saying, go, there's a little something different now. Go, he go, he's a chosen vessel. Go, I'm going to show him how many great things he must suffer for my namesake. How, God, is he going to receive this? How will I even know? What Ananias didn't know was something that happened back down the road a little ways. On his way to Damascus, on his way, on his way to that city, something had happened. That forever changed him. As he, as he came near, suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying, Saul, 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 why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, thou first thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick the against the prick. And he trembling and trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, said unto him Arise and go into the city, and it shall be thee told thee what thou must do. There was an encounter that Saul had. The light, the light that shined from heaven that caught his attention startled him, startled him. And he fell, he fell to the ground. He couldn't see anything around him. His sight was, sight was taken from him, but somehow in that light he knew he was addressing heaven. heaven. And, and he said, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? He knew there was only one up there. He knew there was only one, Lord. 
when he wrote those words later on, one of his baptism, he didn't have to learn to learn. He already, he already knew there was one Lord. But he had the feeling I misidentified him. And he said, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, the Lord said, Jesus, Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to take your against the prince. I am, I am Jesus, uh, whom thou persecutest. There's something comforting in that. Paul couldn't even lay his hands on Jesus. He already descended. But Jesus said, you've been persecuting the church. Take that person personally. That means you've been persecuting me. The next time you get worried, you're worried about what the devil's doing to you. You can just remember he's not personally. He looks down and says, you don't know who you're messing with. You're not just messing with a human being. You're messing with my child. Me, me. You're persecuting me. I can't tell you Uh, 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 uh,
Well, God, would you please tell me, tell me, what's happening about me that you're not in tune about? You're not any better than any apostle. You probably won't preach this good as in Jerusalem. Well, give it that. That's, 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 that's no problem. I want you to go. You mean that I'm, I'm, I'm more and I'm more than anybody, than anybody else. I've got some particular word that he'll hear that nobody else, nobody else ever said it ever so I don't know how to the difference either. Well, what is the difference, Lord? Difference, Lord. I'll tell you what's the difference. He's praying, praying. He's praying, praying. You can walk you can in walk there, in there and pray to see how he's praying. praying. I know he's still there. He's still there. And everybody tried to help him. He's even a preacher. And all it did was stir him up to persecute him. I know he's hardly a preacher. And all it did was hard in his heart. But there's a difference now. I've got him praying. I've got him on his knees. I've got him praying. I'm telling you there's a difference. I don't know how many have walked through these doors and have walked out unchanged. But I'll tell you why they did. They didn't come praying. They didn't have God on their mind. They weren't stirred up. They weren't hungry. But let me tell you, if anybody comes in this door and you've been praying, God's got a message for you. I can preach till I'm blue in the face. And not a soul will come down here and, and talk to God and be changed unless you came praying. Unless something has stirred your heart. Unless I can get you to pray in before this service is over. Let me tell you that, 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 that the circumstances that got Paul praying, it may not be the same ones that get you praying. But somewhere, something's going to stir you up enough and get you to praying. Get you to talking to God. I'm I'm telling you, if you could go back to your conversion, if you could go back to when you were a sinner and God brought you into this great marvelous light, something had you stirred. There was something I heard them. I've talked to people, they were out. They didn't know anything about God. They were, they were drug addicts. They were in the bars drinking. And, oh, but they can say, you know, down on the inside, I was unhappy. And I'd go home and lay on that bed and I'd cry. And I'd say, God, if you're real, I'm going to find you. God, if you're real, would you show yourself to me? And I'm telling you, when they walked into the house of God, or when somebody opened the Bible in front of them, they got the message. Got it. Got it. There's a scripture. There's a scripture. Says that God, that God spoke a word into Jacob. Jacob represented all of the physical descendants of Abraham, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God sent a word into Jacob, but it said that it lighted upon Israel. You know that's very significant. Jacob was his name after his, after his natural inheritance. That's what his mother and daddy gave him. But, but after something happened to him, after he, after he wrestled with God, after he, he, he showed his total dependence on God, God reached down 
and he withered that thigh, the most powerful muscle of the body. And he said, in essence, he was saying, you don't depend on this anymore. But now you depend on me. This is forever going to be a mark that you, do, that you do depend on me. And I'm going to change your name. You're not Jacob anymore. You are Israel, a prince with God. You, 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 you've, had, you've had a real experience. You had it by a natural birth the first time. But this is different. This is something that was born in a spiritual relationship with God Almighty. So let me tell you what he was saying. I heard a word and it went out to every descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Every one of them could have qualified. But the only place that my word found a resting place, the only place it could light is those that it had a similar experience that, that their name had been changed. They were Israel. They were a prince with God. They were somebody that didn't just have the pedigree, but they had a relationship with God. In other words, they pray. He prayeth. He prayeth. He prayeth. I sent a word to Israel, but all of that backslidden, non-praying bunch, they never got it. It never found its way into their heart, but into the remnant that was on their face, into the remnant that was on their knees praying, it found a resting place. I came to preach to you. I came to reach out to you, but I'm here to tell you if God can't stir you up to pray, you're not going to hear it. Some of you, when I talked about the percentages, when I talked about the odds against you making it, it registered in your mind. But you'll walk out of here unstirred, unchanged. You're not worried about your own soul. You're worried about the souls of your children. Why? You've got other things on your mind. You're doing other things. But I'm praying. I'm believing that somebody came this morning with a prayer in your mind. Maybe you don't even really know how to pray. But you, you, you've been asking God, Lord, I'm looking, I'm searching. I need more than what I have. I need more than what I've been living with. I need an experience with you, God. I need to know you. Some of you that have sat on these pews for week after week and month after month and year after year. And you're wondering, I hope I'm ready when it comes. I hope I, I, I see. I hope I hear the urgency. Not if you're not praying. I'm telling you, I do believe. I got some things I really feel to preach tonight. But I'm telling you, it'll be a, it'll be a trip in vain unless it finds the heart of a praying man. Unless it finds the ears of a praying woman or child. Unless it finds somebody that's talking to God. Saul, I got a message. I've been trying to get it through to you for a long time. But it won't happen until I can get you praying. Until I can get you talking to God. But oh, Ananias, go. For he prayeth. Go, for he prayeth. I won't tell you it was that clear. But I almost feel like right now that the Lord said, I want you to go and preach a message. Because I got some people that are praying. I got some people that are talking to me. I've got some people that need, they know they need an answer from God. They know they need an answer for the things they face. They know they need an answer for their family. I got them praying. 
don't know who you are today. But I pray, but I pray that something gets a hold of your heart. I'm believing. I am hoping that you came already this morning praying. But I also came to stir up somebody that before we finish this service and before we have this service tonight, that God could get you to praying. God could get you to praying. Talking to God. Ready to receive the admonition of the Lord. The encouragement of the Lord. I'm telling you, God's got so many things for you. He wants to encourage you in the Holy Ghost in these times. He wants to tell you he didn't give you that spirit of fear. Oh, no, but there's a blessed hope he wants to give you. But it's only going to make its way down into a praying heart. It's only going to find a resting place in somebody that's talking to God. Somebody that's reaching for God. Oh, I'm telling you, the odds are against you being you. The odds are against it. God has sent out words all over this country. He sent out messages all over the place. He's preaching it everywhere to people. But I wonder who it's going to light on. I wonder who will hear it. Who will walk away from this Sunday changed. I'm telling you the biggest percentage. We're going to walk away from churches today unchanged. All across, all across America, all across the world, the odds say, oh yeah, we'll pass on that church too. We'll just move right on through. Nobody's going to be changed. Oh, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Oh, the devil can poke his head in here and just grin and say, oh yeah. Ah, uh, the odds are nobody's going to hear you preach or why you even up there preaching. But I'm telling you that with God it's possible. My God, he's paved the way. I believe he's been stirring somebody. He's already got somebody praying. Some of you that started praying last week. Some of you that started praying last month. God wants you to know that's what it takes. He's got some things to tell you. Some things to talk to you about. Are you ready to hear it? Closing. You could stand. You could stand. I don't know. I don't know what all the Lord has for us before we leave this Sunday behind. I told you up front. I don't know why, don't know why God would stir me up to come. There are so, there are so many. That are more effective. I look at the few things that I already out or feel, and I say that's so little. But I did come to tell you that if you're praying, God can talk to you. If you're praying, you can hear this message. If you're praying, you get stirred up about your soul. About your children, about your home. Saul's praying. I'm going to tell you the greatest day for the Gentile church was, was the day Saul started praying. The church you and I are in 
you to stand here today because Saul got praying. We heard it. He turned the world upside down. And the world owes him, owes the Lord a great debt of gratitude for getting Saul to praying. Saul to praying. What if he had never prayed? I wonder if our children will ever look at us and say, Dad, if you'd only got started praying. If you'd only started praying, you could have heard God's direction for my life. Oh, yes, you, you, you're not here by accident today, friend. God wants to get you praying. He's got some great things to whisper in your ear. He's got, he's got direction for your soul. He wants to turn your family toward him. He wants to do many wonderful things. If he can just get you praying, he can talk to you. Oh, yes. If I could just get us all to pray in the day. I'm telling you, I wonder if circumstances has you on your face right now. If they have you praying. Uh, I know we don't want to miss this opportunity. Things are not going too well, and it's got us a little bit stirred. If we can just quit worrying and start praying. If we can get to praying, God's got things for us. God's got something for you today. Is there anybody, do you feel God stirring you up to pray? Do you feel God tugging at your heart? Oh, yes, I wish I could just close it down right now. But I'm telling you, I can't let go of this. God wants to help somebody, but you got to pray. you got to pray. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Does anybody feel the burden of prayer today? God, if nobody else in my family is going to pray, i got to pray today. Oh, God, i got to hear your word, Lord. I need to be stirred. There's any promises coming my way. I need to hear them, Lord. i got to get my heart ready. God wants somebody praying. Somebody praying. What a testimony God had to Ananias. He prayeth. He prayeth. I feel like the Lord. Oh, he's been sending preachers by here for a reason. Because somebody's been praying. Somebody needs an answer from God. Is it you, my friend? Can you pray this morning? Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, church. Let's talk to the Lord. These altars are open. Oh, we're going to have an altar service this morning. We're going to have a prayer time, friend. Oh, God wants to talk to our hearts today if we can just pray. It doesn't matter if you're a member here or a visitor. You ought to come down here and pray with us. You need to talk to God. How can he, how can he speak to your heart if you're not praying? How can, he, how can he bring a message of hope to you if you're not praying? Oh, God, I need you, Lord. I need to talk to you. Teach me to pray, Lord. Oh, come on, friend. Come on. I wish everybody in this place would find somewhere to pray. Find somewhere to pray. Find somewhere to talk to God. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Call on the Lord. Call on the Lord. Talk to God today. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, we'll pray with you. 
Well, come on, pray alongside you. We need prayer to saturate this place. Come on, come on, dear saints of God. Talk to God. Talk to God. You need to get a hold of the urgency of this hour. The urgency of this service. The urgency of this weekend and the days around us. Oh, there needs to be prayer made in this place. God, oh God, oh God, oh God, help us to pray, Jesus. Help us to pray, Lord. Help us to pray, God. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, stir me up, Lord. Stir me to pray, God. I need to call on your name, Jesus. Oh, I need to call on your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, church. Help us pray. Help us pray.
唱。